No farmer would ever spend 20 years taking care of a herd of cows to wait for them to naturally die. We don't need to eat animals to live happy and healthy lives. Hello, hello. I am so excited to be introducing today Serena Farb. Serena, vegan since birth. Imagine that. 27 years of vegan. This is incredible. Serena Farb is a Midwest-based science educator, speaker, and justice activist with a passion for making the world a better place for all beings. She is the co-founder of the Climate Diet Solution and was co-host of the 2020 Climate Diet Summit. Born in Canvas, and get a load of this, my friends, raised vegan. Serena, literally, and I, I inserted that, she has a lifetime of experience advocating for veganism, climate justice, and sustainable plant-based living. Currently, she serves on the Plant-Based Network Advisory Committee and is a member of the American Vegan Society Speakers Bureau. Ah, this is getting better by the second. <laughs> Serena creates empowering and educational content on her website and her YouTube channel, Born Vegan. A former high school science teacher with a BA in biochemistry and policy studies, she brings critical thinking, nuance, and ethics into conversations about science and sustainability. A woman after my own heart, welcome Serena Farb. And wow, you and I were just chatting for a few moments before we went live and I learned about your parents. We must back up to your parents and you must let us honor them and talk about them. I would love to hear just a few things from you, from the mouth of a babe who has an incredible resume bio that I had no idea. You were 27 years old before I just met you today. Your parents, tell us about your parents and how it is that you were raised for the past 27 years as vegan. The reason that I'm ogling right now is because we are live in the Reimagine the Turtle Creek Watershed and Airshed Communities Plus Facebook page. And you know, you'll be featured on the website, uh, which is reimagined TICWAC is the acronym.org. But the reason we're here is because of this, this book that's about to come out called Vegan Voices that, of course, uh, Dr. Joanne Kong has edited. And I'm, my mind is exploding right now. I love to do spontaneous interviews, but what's, what's traveling through my neurons and the neurodendritic proliferation that is occurring is that we are here in the midst of the transformation of culture, sitting at Reimagine TICWAC, which has roots as an environmental organization, where we have been planting and cross-pollinating the seeds of veganism. But the lion's share of the people that I work with, sometimes on a daily basis in this nonprofit, are not plant-based. And so I want to start 
this interview with a little bit of history about where you came from. So I'm interested in knowing if your parents were born vegan. Yeah, well, thank you so much for interviewing me and giving me the opportunity to talk about this and, and this book. Very excited about it and honored to be have an essay in it. But yeah, so my parents were not born or raised vegan at all. They're both from Kansas, grew up in the Midwest. And, you know, my dad was a meat and potatoes guy. My mom was always an animal lover. She cut out eating meat when she was 13 because my grandfather had a cattle ranch, actually. And when she, you know, sat down to the table and was told that these were the cows that she'd met that she was eating, you know, she cut out eating cows then. And it took her, you know, another 15 or 20 years to actually become vegan, but she was always an animal lover, you know, environmentalist as well, started there. And then she, before I was born, actually had a job as a pharmaceutical sales representative and science specialist for a multinational pharmaceutical company. And part of her job took her into lab animal testing facilities, pig farms, chicken hatcheries, And so she had to tour these places and sell her company's chemicals and drugs and, you know, that sort of thing to them. And so that's where she got a firsthand look into our food system. And we're also, we're also Jewish. And, you know, she grew up hearing about justice issues in the Holocaust. And basically when she saw firsthand what she saw, It just made her think about how we've always been taught that we're supposed to stand up when we see injustice and speak out against things. And so she went vegan and decided that she wanted to raise her kids to be people who would always speak out against injustice when they saw something going on in front of them, no matter how unpopular or, uh, you know, that issue was. So that's kind of the background. And then my sister and I were both raised vegan from birth. And I'm here today and incredibly grateful for that and for, uh, you know, my upbringing of learning to speak up and use my voice from when I was really little and not to just look away when something unjust is happening. Wow. There's a lot there. <laughs> I, let me figure out where to start. So your grandfather was a cattle farmer. It was more of a hobby farm in like the 70s or 80s when he had just learned about, you know, the issue of like hormones and stuff. So he was trying to raise organic, you know, like free range cows um, even back then. So let's talk about that for a minute, Mm -hmm. because that is a very common first response, I want to say, that people give when you mention you, not you, the collective you, a, mm-hmm. a vegan you, yep. uh, you know, I'm, I'm plant-based or I'm vegan, uh, which I know there's a distinction there, but we won't go there quite yet, that I know my cow. I raise my cow. I'm, you know, we have a place near us in Pittsburgh called New Vrindaban. My husband got into it with somebody there who is a Hare Krishna devotee. Mm-hmm. And I know my cow. And um, so what do you, what, what, what kind of a problem do you have with that, Serena? So, you know, there's a couple ways to look at it, but really number one, the question I would ask, is there a humane way 
to kill someone who wants to live. So by the simple act of domesticating animals and bringing them into the world for the purpose of eating them, making a profit off of them, killing them, we are fundamentally exploiting them and taking away their bodily integrity. And it really doesn't matter how well, you know, well it's done or how humanely it's done. They have absolutely no say in it. These are individual sentient feeling beings who love their babies just like we do, who feel emotion and have friends and connections with each other. And in this system, when they are legally property and objects that humans can do whatever we want with them, there's really no way that we can raise and kill them with their best interests at heart rather than ours. Human interests will always come first if it's a little cheaper or more convenient to kill them in a different way or put them in a pen or take their babies away from them if they're you know, dairy cows. Whatever makes sense for it to be economical for humans is pretty much what will always come out on top. So you bring up an excellent point and Stan on the live is saying, what about milk and eggs? Because, you know, at New Vrindavan, they don't eat the cows. They only drink their milk. Mm -hmm. So I actually personally find the dairy industry to be one of the most atrocious in the animal agribusiness industry because dairy cows to, you know, cows don't just make milk magically. They're mothers and they produce milk because they are mothers. So they have to be kept constantly pregnant to produce, again, a commercially viable amount of milk. And then we can't let their babies drink that milk or we humans can't get it. So the dairy industry artificially impregnates mother cows in this cycle. When the babies are born, they're taken away within a day or two, even on the most local, small, humane farms. I personally have been to these farms and questioned farmers and almost all of them will say, oh, they get a day with their babies. That's like good. A few hours is you know, even more common. And if they're females, then they'll be raised to become part of the milking herd as well. And if they are males, then they are shipped off to become veal. So the dairy industry is the beef industry, is the veal industry. Because then again, after years of this, these cycles of forced impregnations and having their babies stolen from them, then the mother cows are also sent to be slaughtered for beef. So it's all one and the same. And it's all the horror of the beef industry with the added sexual reproductive exploitation and repeatedly having their babies stolen from them. So there you have it. The next question is from the live. Well, what about if they die of old age? I would like us to morph the conversation once you answer that question, mm -hmm. into the incredible positive side of veganism. But first, I think that what about if they die of old age? You touched on because you said domesticating animals. Mm -hmm. When did that happen? Because what we're talking about, Serena Farr, my new idol, born vegan at age 27, like 
absorb that, whether you're watching live or on the replay. In my imagination, a lot of the people watching this, the word vegan scares them. Mm -hmm. so, so what we're talking about right here in Reimagine the Turtle Creek watershed and airshed communities is a metaphor for what is going on worldwide. I have goosebumps right here, right now. We are talking about reimagining culture to move Absolutely. back before the time of domesticated animals. And mm -hmm. I'm putting, what am I putting? I'm putting a stake in the ground, which might seem violent. I'm not gonna put a stake in the ground. I'm gonna plant another pawpaw tree here in Southwestern Pennsylvania. And I'm gonna to explain to people why it is they don't know what a pawpaw tree is. Um, and I'll leave that as a mystery. If you're watching live on Facebook and you have an idea about what a pawpaw tree is, drop that in the comments. Um, and why don't more people in Southwestern PA plant pawpaw trees? Mm -hmm. Right here, right now, a pawpaw tree planting declaration that, that by the year 2026, as the whole world is vegan, according to Dr. Silesh Rao and all yep. of us vegans who are on the bandwagon, we're also going to all have a pawpaw tree in our front yards if the ecosystem allows. You heard it here first. Yeah, so absolutely beautifully said. And I think there's, again, a lot of ways I can answer this. I mean, if you want to eat animals so badly and you find a dead animal on the side of the road or roadkill, I don't have as much of an issue with that if you are really, you know, find that appetizing or driven to consume that. But we have a bigger problem driving all of this, which is that we view animals and their flesh and bodies and secretions as something to consume. So there's like, that would not be a viable economic sustainable way to feed the world if we are just waiting for animals to die of natural causes. There, that, that doesn't happen. Then, then you're asking farmers or people to spend years. Cows can live up to 20 years. You know, that's their natural lifespan when taken well care of. So you're saying like, what, we're just going to breed animals into existence to let them live out their lives for 20 years, wait for them to die of natural causes, and then we can eat them? Like the world will not be eating meat or beef if that is how things were going. And because animals are property status, their rights still won't be protected. They are still objects that we are looking at as something for us to consume. So as long as we're thinking that individual, that animal, I want to eat their flesh, I'm just waiting until they die. It's, it's a slippery slope that will lead to people still killing them. Like it's, it, that is not any sort of, solution. And the question that I always like to ask in the big picture here is if we have a choice and one choice, eating plants can help us thrive and help our health problems and the environment and we can do it and it doesn't cause violence and harm. And then we have another option which takes the life of an individual. Why not choose the nonviolent option? And that's really, that's really all I'm asking when I'm talking to people about veganism. It's, it's really a choice that is that simple. And so we, we don't need to eat animals. We don't need their flesh. 
We don't need their secretions. They're not healthy for us, nor are they environmentally sustainable. So like, why? Why bring them into this world, take care of them? I mean, and that would also just simply not be economically feasible. No farmer would ever spend 20 years taking care of a herd of cows to wait for them to naturally die of natural causes. It's just kind of, uh, yeah, just doesn't make sense. And so we have a system that is still largely driven by supply and demand where each of us every single day, three times a day or more, gets to vote with what we purchase, with what we put on our plate and vote for a more sustainable, compassionate, just world where we don't kill sentient beings because we like the taste of them or a world that is unjust and causing direct harm and violence to billions of sentient beings. Billions of sentient beings. So when you talk about the intersection between social justice and veganism, you beautifully explained what that connection is, which I understand now, regrettably, most people in our Western civilization are clueless about not pointing the finger as much as educating people that what we think is the truth is not necessarily really the truth. It is our truth. And it was my truth because I too am Jewish and was raised with chicken soup and matzo balls Mm -hmm. and brisket and corned beef and pickled herring and, you know, bagels, lox and cream cheese. And now I make a mean vegan chicken, C-H-Y-K-Y-N soup, Mm -hmm. you know, and hopefully the recipe for that will go in my soon to be published, I hope, book called Enlivening Mm -hmm. Consciousness. But we are raised and we know not from what we realized. We don't, we are raised in culture and we are in the midst of the transformation of culture. And so, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of speechless, which is rare because I'm just honoring the fact that you were born vegan. This is a rare thing in today's world, but I'm having this like download, which is now, now the critical mass is coming in, which will be people like you. You are leading the charge of the shift of consciousness and awareness. And I personally believe, I don't know what you think about this, but that we've come through a portal over the past year And there's a lot more people that are waking up now to a different reality. Mm -hmm. Um, People call it by different names, but is that something that you've noticed at all? Yes and no. (laughs) I mean, I, I see a lot of things going on. Veganism is certainly growing rapidly and not just in the last year, but the changes that I've seen from you know, even 2012 when I graduated high school to now is incredible. Like 
I didn't know another vegan at my high school. The idea of having vegan friends locally in Kansas was, you know, like ridiculous. The, you know, and then even aside from that, finding people that would be willing to do activism with me or join protests or events. And, you know, I remember, and this was already like three years ago now in 2018, but it just, it's really striking to me, this difference. I sat down on a plane, I was getting ready to go to a veg fest to speak actually. And I overhear the couple sitting next to me on the plane and they're talking about Beyond Burgers. And that's not a conversation 10 years ago, you would ever have just overheard on a plane. And I looked at them and I was like, oh, are you vegan? And they were like, oh no, we just run a restaurant and you know we're trying to put together a vegan menu because everybody's got to have one of those these days. And it was just, Beautiful. you know, so like that is the epitome of the chain. Like again, 10 years ago, no way, like that would have blown me away if I heard that. Like that was not a common thing. That was not, you know, and so there are just so many little changes like that where I can see that eating plants and a vegan ethic are becoming a lot more common and normalized and acceptable and we're still a long way from where we need to be but i think those are all positives and show that the mood is starting to shift so speaking of the mood shifting you are one of the authors one of the 50 authors in the soon to be released vegan voices and it's it's available for pre-order now um, through lantern books and what did you what did you write about in there in that book? I wrote about growing up vegan and why I think everyone should be raising vegan kids, how it's a matter of justice. Um, and the, the thing that I've always that kind of inspired that article and inspires me to speak about stuff like this is even growing up vegan and when I knew many other vegans, lots of people told my family and told my parents, well, it's fine that you're vegan, but it's wrong for you to, quote, push those values, force your values on your children. You know, don't force veganism on your children. And I've had people look at me and think growing up, you know, that I was brainwashed, that I was only doing this because my parents were forcing this on me, that it was restricted, you know, all the things that vegans hear, but with this added element of like, I'm basically brainwashed and only doing this because my parents are forcing me to. And that is just, couldn't be farther from the truth and is really a twisted way to look at things. Like we don't look at parents who teach their children to recycle, who teach their children to get involved politically and vote, who teach their children you know, about issues of systemic racism and sexism and oppression, right? We don't like sit here and say like, you're forcing your values on your children and that's wrong or religion for that matter too. Like we recognize like that's what a parent's job is, is to take whatever their values are and teach them to their children. And when children get to be adults, they can accept those values, keep living that way, or change their mind. People grow up with religion and choose different religions. People have certain values, you know, like that's, that's normal. And yet when you suddenly bring up veganism, it's like this crazy radical, how dare you sort of thing. And 
in my view, it's really no different. All my parents did, like they didn't force anything on me. Yes, they raised me vegan. Our home was vegan. They made me vegan food and they taught me about veganism. They taught me about animal rights and environmentalism. They gave me all the facts and information at an age appropriate level, of course, like this wasn't, you know, just shoved in my head. Like it was, you know, steps along the way. And we kept learning more and more as I grew older. And you, you know, parents can't control kids as teens. Like I could easily have at friends' houses eaten other things if I wanted to, but they shared their values with me more than anything else. And they basically, they taught me the truth. It wasn't even like we think of it as like, oh, it's propaganda and it's so radical and so different, but advertisers, McDonald's, TV ads, toys, literally everything else out in the world is propaganda telling people, telling children, animals are food, they're objects for you to exploit, they're flesh, it's okay to eat them. And not just okay, you should. This is what, you know, a good life is. This is how you have fun. This is how you enjoy barbecues, like all of that. So I don't even see what my parents did as propaganda per se. All they did was tell me the truth that we don't need to eat animals to live happy and healthy lives and thrive. The, the parallels to what's going on worldwide now are incredible. And I'm going to leave that statement at that uh, because I don't want to get <clears throat> political right now. And I haven't spoken with you about that ahead of time. And I know that it would really trigger people within this community because it already has when we've spoken in private meetings, but profound, profound words from a, I'm still going to call you a young adult because <laughs> I am definitely an elder compared to you. I'm going to shift us for a minute. Is plastic vegan? It's an interesting question. Um, I would say yes and no. I mean, the definition of veganism, which is basically a philosophy, principle, and way of living that is against exploiting other beings. It doesn't say anything about plastic or palm oil or coffee or chocolate, you know, all these other things. However, I would say that most vegans are vegan because they care about doing what's right, helping animals, helping the planet. Um, and so in that vein, I know many vegans and myself that try to reduce plastic use, especially single use plastics as much as possible. How do you relate plastics and veganism? In other words, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so yeah, it's a very interesting question. And I think a lot of people get confused about veganism and think that it is one, it's a mode of ethical consumption, that it's just a boycott, that it's just, you know, a more sustainable way to eat. Like I can eat 80% vegan, I can eat, vegan till four, you know, like it's kind of a diet. It's this, this one action like going plastic free or zero waste or, you know, these various other things that it's like one of many options and you can pick and choose and do your best at it. And I don't, that, that is a piece 
of what veganism is, but it is not simply a mode of ethical consumption. It is a stance against injustice and against oppressing, directly taking the life of other beings. So look, being on this planet has a footprint. It has an impact. We cannot live on this planet without probably causing harm or environmental degradation in a multitude of ways. I'm going to stop you there. I'm yeah. going to pause you for there from that. I don't agree, but, I, but I'll hold that thought for a minute. Okay. Okay. Keep going. So yeah, so that's my take. Like we, we have a footprint by being human, at least in this society. Maybe there are other societies and ways that we could live. But in America, in our modern society, I believe that everyone has a footprint. And so we should always be doing our best to minimize that, to cause the least harm, to make the least amount of waste, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But veganism to me is a clear line of you are either paying for the life to be taken of another individual or you're not. And it's not as much of this gray scale. And, and the way I like to think about it, this is an analogy. Some people have gotten upset by this, but I think it's a very valid analogy. If we were in a society where stonings were a legal and publicly accepted form of punishment, for example, let's say you are standing there and someone is being stoned for being adulterous or something because that did happen in previous societies. And there's a whole group of people that are all throwing rocks at this individual. You see what's going on and you think it's wrong. And so you don't want to participate. Throw, like, let's say you stand back and you don't throw a rock. You're honestly not going to make a difference in how much pain or suffering that individual feels. Cause there's still a whole crowd of people that are throwing rocks and harming that person. But you have stood back and taken a stand and said, I am against this, this is unjust, and I'm going to do everything I can going forward and in the future to not let this situation happen. And so to me, being vegan, being against the exploitation of other beings is analogous. We hope in our supply and demand market that our choice will have a direct action, but it may not, or it may not be for a few years down the road until we create enough of us or a ripple effect. And I still believe regardless of that direct physical impact, regardless of that you know, boycott effect, that we still have a moral obligation at a very minimum to be vegan and not support the exploitation and slaughter of other beings. So, wow. <laughs> Thank you for that. And I'm here to say that I do not believe that, and this is going to be a really bold statement that might knock your socks off because me saying it is about to knock my socks off. I don't believe it's possible to be vegan in this culture, right? Uh, absolutely. Because, because you're wearing those plastic earpieces, right? Mm -hmm. You're born vegan. And as you were being raised, the plastic industry was being raised. And we in the Turtle Creek watershed live in the midst of fracking. Mm -hmm. The petrochemical industry, Royal Dutch Shell is building 
the second largest petrochemical plant to make something called nurdles. They're little plastic pellets oh, wow. that make everything plastic, like my this, my mouse, mm -hmm. and my keyboard, and my phone, and your earpiece. And it's killing people mm -hmm. slowly, deliberately. It yep. is also the coating of an RNA injection that's been a worldwide thing over the past um, year that makes that thing patentable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the people that have had the injection are living GMOs and there's way more to it than that. And I'm gonna stop that conversation right there even though I couldn't resist putting it here. So um, that being said, the idea is we're all on this in the same game. We're all on the same playing field. And it's not about competition anymore. It is about collaboration and it is about cooperation. And once we start to understand that, we rise into the idea of eating more plants, leaving the violence out of the game as women rising as the feminine, divine feminine rising, we are all here with the opportunity for the new world that is forming. And it has been such a pleasure to have the opportunity to interview you. Things got a little bit more heated than I imagined. With Reimagine, the Turtle Creek, we're actually offering the counterpoint to fracking, right? We finally decided, those of us that were, and if you can't see me pointing at myself on the podcast, but who are, you know, fractivists for a decade. I, mm -hmm. I founded a group called Sustainable Monroeville. That's where I live. Amazing. Years ago. <laughs> Realizing that when we go like this and bang heads with the uh, industry, because we are so agitated that neither of us are getting anywhere. Rather, when we cook for people delicious vegan meals, when we demonstrate our regenerative future with green rooftops and solar panels and bioswales and biodynamic eating, when we help those that are vegan more, move more into raw living foodism in certain cases, then we are truly changing the world in a creative and nurturing and loving and way that is so full of gratitude. And that is the energy that I got from the place where I first met your parents and apparently you, we must've been walking around in the same space mm -hmm. um, at the University of Pittsburgh at Johnstown. Yep. Yep. Um, for many years in a row. You've probably been there every year that it's been- Pretty much every year of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is hope for all of us, whether you, you know, call yourself vegan, whether you call yourself plant-based or whole food plant-based or a junk food vegan or a raw living foodist or a carnist or a carnivore or a, a keto person or whatever you call yourself, there's always the opportunity to step into eating one more plant. Is there anything else you want to add to round out some more positivity? Plant us with yeah. some more sprouting seeds. I just have to mention, and I actually meant to mention this. <laughs> I think I just, my head is starting to spin. I just interviewed 
Nancy Arenas, and she has a nonprofit called Sprouting Compassion. I have a Facebook page called Sprouting Authenticity. I want to invite you, and I mean a Facebook group. I want to invite you and all the others. I meant to mention that okay. during the last interview, but might as well get it in now. But how can we find you? What are you up to most recently? What are you doing virtually? What are you doing live? Um, and yeah, just whatever else you want to you know, talk about for the next five minutes. Okay. So yeah, I mean, the first thing I, I want to add is I don't disagree with most of what you said. I think we're we're on the same page. Um, and that's that's part of the reason that I said my statement about like we all have a footprint on the planet. It's impossible to be a hundred percent vegan. And so I don't think it's about perfection. I don't think it's about worrying about, you know, like every little debate and issue and this and that. It's really about the bigger picture of taking a stand against injustice and doing the best you can in your life every day to live in alignment with those ideals. And that looks different for every person in every situation. And so I, I don't think it's about perfection or those little details, um, which I think makes it easier. It makes it more accessible when you realize it's about doing the best you can to live in alignment with your values. And, and that's what I teach on, I make YouTube videos and I also have a podcast. So it's called Science is Gray. And I have interviewed some plant-based doctors, various other people on there. And I would love it if people wanna check that out or follow. That's kind of the main big project I'm working on right now because I just, I feel like science has a lot of nuance to it, especially when we talk about ethics and science together. And it doesn't get treated with that nuance. Ethics are not always included in a holistic way in the media right now, in not just right now, throughout a lot of time. Um, and so it's a space to have conversations about bias, and corporate profits and just everything related to the intersection of science and ethics, especially around food and agriculture. That's, that is largely my focus. Um, and then on that note as well, I have been researching and spoken out about this before, but the topic of lab-grown meat, which con another controversial issue won't get into, but keep a lookout. I will have an article probably coming out in the American Vegan Society um, magazine at some point on that topic. So I'm, I'm working on some stuff around that as well. And just, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram and YouTube all the time. That's where most of my content and videos are. We would love for you to drop those links inside, uh, this Facebook, uh, uh, thread. Okay. Um, either now or, or when you, uh, when we complete this interview, because, it will be wonderful when people follow you. And yes, I am one of those plant-based, I'm the body vision vegan optometrist and I'm just starting to kind of identify that way. Mm -hmm. I have shied away from that. I've been a plant-based vegan since 2012. And so it's taken me a while to stand on my own two feet in the green grass and, um, and prance around and own that identification, that self-identification. And so mm. just 
leaving us with the idea that if you do eat fishes and chickens and um, the eggs and milk of animals that's meant for their parents, it's okay. But you notice the language that I just used. It is language that I learned through, what's the gentleman's name who wrote the book about, about fish, fish in the title? Jonathan Balcom. Jonathan Balcom. When I was listening to his talks at the VegFest in Johnstown, he started using this language, you know, about fishes and chickens mm -hmm. and cows. And we start to realize that our vocabulary in Western civilization is removing us from the idea that we are not being ethical beings, no matter what we say we're doing with words mm -hmm. or with writing, our actions of what we're putting in our mouth are what is speaking very loudly. And also what we are absorbing in our soma and so those of us that have been plant-based either for a lifetime or for part of our lives start to recognize that kinesthetically um, the embodiment of meat is still around in the collective consciousness whether or not we are now doing that act. And so that's why also we are so passionate about moving people along the pathway into eating more plants. I could go on and on with you and I would love to for you to come back. I would be, you know, I would be happy to be interviewed on your podcast um, at some point. And I will look forward to seeing you hopefully on October 10th when Vegan Voices uh, has their launch party. Mm -hmm. It will be both virtually and in person in a place called Plant City, which is up north in the northeast in Rhode Island. And do you know about Plant City? Do you, do you, have you I don't. Plant City, I should have this in my notes handy, but you'll probably have to catch that in the next <laughs> live interview this afternoon, which, um, we're, we're, you know, I have to look at my notes here. I think we're going to, uh, I'm not sure where we're streaming that one live yet, but um, stay tuned. And if you have a question, uh, just drop it in the thread here and one or the other of us will get back with you. Thank you again and again and again. And um, I just, let's look forward to Vegan World 2026. Yes, thank you. Take care, bye-bye.